greatest weapon of all. First step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one. It's time we started this. Pain isn't something we thought. All we can ever do for our heroes is remember them. And they gave up two lives. The one they were living in and the one they would have lived. They gave up everything for our country, for us. They pray for freedom and justice. Some veterans not getting the timely care that they need. Less than 1% of Americans serving in uniform. Good news is, is that in recent years, we've made historic investments to boost the VA budget. What is it? Why should we care? We should care about press freedom because... Because we were informed. In democratic societies, free, diverse, and pluralist media enable public debates and are essential checks You don't look status. Let's discuss. Uh, hi guys, uh, welcome to vet to vet podcast, uh, new episode, uh, yeah, if it's your first time listening then thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you. So today we are gonna talk about uh, something that affects all of us. So today we're gonna talk about coronavirus, COVID-19, and um, clearly we are living through an extraordinary period in human history. So the rampant spread of COVID-19 has uh, unpended societies and economies. In short-term effects have been dramatic, and uh, in the medium term and long term, the virus may have profound consequences for all of us. And I guess it's already happened. So we're gonna go into some details, like as per our understanding. And so viruses and the diseases um, they, cause, uh, they cause often have different names. For example, HIV is a virus that uh, cause, causes AIDS. And people often know the name of a disease, but not the name of virus that causes it. So official names have uh, been announced for the virus responsible for COVID-19 and uh, previously known as uh, 219 novel coronavirus and the disease it causes. So the official names are for the disease is uh, coronavirus disease or COVID-19, but the virus itself is called uh, severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2. The one was two years ago, I guess. So SARS-CoV-2. So International Committees on Taxonomy of the Viruses, uh, ICTV, announced severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2, SARS-CoV-2, as the name of the new virus on February 11, 2020. This name was chosen because the virus is genetically related to the coronavirus responsible for the SARS outbreak in 2003. While related, the two viruses are different though. Who announced COVID-19 as the name of this new disease on February 11, 2020, following guidelines previously developed with the World Organization for Animal Health, the OIE, and the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, the FAO? So, um, we're going to go into some details uh, uh, in the first part of the podcast. So we're going to talk about epidemiology, microbiology, the facts that are announced by uh, World Health, uh, Health Organization. So what is the microbiology of... Uh, Positive scent, single-strand, enveloped RNA virus belonging to the family Coronavirinae. 
Coronavirus name derived from the Latin corona meaning crown, viral en enveloped under electron micros uh, microscopy appears crown-like due to small bulbar projections formed by the viral spikes. And so that's where you get like this little spiky ball kind of look that people are used to seeing. SARS-CoV-2 appears to have been zoonotic infection that has adopted to humans. Origin is uncertain, although bats are implicated that we've all heard, and it's just an idea, it's not a truth yet. Genetic analysis shown a great similarity to bats, SARS-like coronavirus. And the COVID-19 novel coronavirus disease 2019 is the disease SARS-CoV-2 is the virus. So there's two different ways of understanding what this thing is. Um, so what about the epidemiology about the cases in the world? So this disease is, or this virus, this virus is reported in most countries performing testing and all continents except Antarctica. De and it's been declared a pandemic by the WHO organization. Real-time global reports all available through coronavirus COVID-19 global case dashboard by John Hopkins, which is pretty much the safe place to check true facts. Risk groups. Uh, older age, especially 65 and older, and people with uh, comorbid dis uh, disabilities appear to be more likely to develop an infection and severe symptoms and be at rest risk for death. Males are more affected, especially with critical illness of the COVID-19. Younger adults are also being hospitalized in the U.S., and we're starting to hear about the children now. So don't think anybody's outside of the box and not getting this. Adults 20 to 44 account for 20% of hospitalizations and 12% of uh, ICU emissions in the U.S. Obesity appears to be emerging as a risk factor of BMI of 30 or more in nearly half hospitalized patients. Um, African Americans appear to be hospitalized at greater than expected frequency than expected on the population basis. Children appear less symptomatic with infection and less prone to severe illness. This certainly appears to be a seasonality type virus. Although typical respiratory coronaviruses are seen mostly in winter in the Northern Hemisphere in some countries such as Thailand, they circulate year round but at a lower frequency. Unclear if SARS-CoV-2 will follow the traditional respiratory season with a decrease in the late spring and summer. So that's why we're starting to hear about the second wave type issues that might pop up during fall and winter. MERS COVID is now seen sporadically year round, but more so during winter time. So we have kind of an idea of how this family of viruses kind of works. So this is how we're kind of judging how the future might actually pan out for us. Yeah. So, um, what about transmission? Uh, how does uh, the virus transmit? So as far as they're aware of right now by respiratory droplets and by uh, foamet, viruses found in respiratory secretions and saliva. Viral shedding by asymptomatic people may represent 20 to 50% of total infections. Viral shedding may annotate symptoms by one to two days.
viral titers are highest in the earliest phase of the infection. Why widespread and rapid transmission occurs is not completely certain and is provoking changes in public health recommendations as well as anxieties, which is why we see a lot of this stuff, especially being in LA and having to wear symptomatically infected people who shed and spread is likely an explanation. People who are not ill will also carefully take measures to avoid spread. This is in large part the rationale behind the universal mask use. Aerosol spread could, could occur, though to be mostly in hospital type settings, assisted living facilities, prisons. Airborne transmission frequently is debated evidence of viral RNA beyond expected droplet range. Unclear if infectious and maybe due to droplets circulating further than six feet or partial aer aerosolization with some activities. Some wi widely publicized evidence is based on experimental aerosolization rather than human studies. To date, there has not been a well-documented outbreak traced to aerosol transmission through HVAC ventilation systems or airplanes. Still shedding also described later in the disease, but uncertain what role, if any, that plays. And that should be easy for you guys to avoid. Yeah, so pretty much uh, like uh, if uh, you spend uh, uh, with somebody in the same environment, uh, like uh, this room, uh, more than like five, 10 minutes, uh, then uh, the infection can transmit. And uh, not only this virus, like like a bunch of other stuff as well. Yeah. But if you're just walking on the street and somebody is uh, passes uh, near you, uh, it's highly unlikely. I would say probably unlikely that uh, somebody is gonna get from that person. Or you go for the jog and somebody runs ne next to you. No, um, no infection spreads like that. Yeah, it'd be incredibly rare. And of course, like in an environment and like with the people that you spend uh, like a lot of time, uh, there is uh, you know no reason to uh, have uh, any uh, you know protective measures because there are a lot of you know other uh, ways of how you contact each other. Um, so just no need to have mask. Yeah. What's the incubation period? So as far as we're aware of the, the average incubation period is usually around five to six days and ranges from two to 12. For more people quarantined, 14 day observations recommended to exclude infection, though 24 day asymptomatic time from exposure is described. Viral shedding occurs following recovery, but unclear what role this plays in transmission. Children and infants spread appear to be growing means of transmission. Some suggest that high viral load may equate with the disease severity, but studies to date have not standardized. So there's still a lot of kind of questions in the air. And that's why you see a lot of these states kind of opening slowly and kind of doing their own things that they think is best. Because there's not a real path right now. Uh, so what are the symptoms? So the common ones that we hear are the fevers. Uh, Range may be lower at initial hospital presentation or in outpatient setting. 
coughs, usually dry coughs, shortness of breath at onset, uh, fatigue, loss of taste or smell, potential sign in early infection but not unique to COVID-19 as may, may be seen with other viral infections or less common symptoms like laryngitis, headaches, productive cough, GI symptoms have been described as presenting symptoms and potentially uh, heralding more severe il illnesses, hematosis. Yeah, so um, like lots of those symptoms uh, are quite common with other viral infections. Yeah. So it's uh, better not to panic if uh, you will have uh, any of those uh, because it can be anything else, yeah. not specifically the virus, this one. There are a bunch of others. <laughs> As per guidance, what, what, what to do if you have symptoms? Call your doctor. If you think you have been exposed to COVID-19 and develop a fever and symptoms such as a cough or difficulty breathing, call your healthcare provider for medical advice, including whether you should be tested for COVID-19. So what are high-risk groups? So the high-risk groups are people age 65 and older, people who live in nursing homes or long-term care facilities or prisons. Other high-risk conditions could include people with chronic lung disease or moderate to severe asthma, people who have serious heart conditions, people who are immunocompromised, including cancer treatment, people of any age with severe obesity with a body mass index of greater than 40, certain underlying metal conditions, particularly if not well controlled, such as those with diabetes, renal failure, liver disease might also be at risk for people. People who are pregnant should be monitored since they are known to be at risk uh, with severe viral illnesses. However, to date on COVID-19 has not shown an increased risk. Many conditions can cause a person to be immunocompromised, including cancer treatment, bone marrow, organ transplant, immunodeficiencies, poorly controlled HIV or AIDS, and prolonged use of uh, corticosteroids and other immune weakening medications. So be careful if you think you're even near anywhere on that list. Yeah, and uh, like, um there might be, uh, you know, such little discrepancies in between like obesity, BMI indexes, uh, like some say 30, some 40. Yeah, but if you think you might be anywhere on that list, just be a little cautious. So what, are, what is the disease spectrum? So, so far as what we can tell, 80 to 90% of infections are not severe and may be asymptomatic. Illnesses caused by the virus can be either upper and lower respiratory tract infections. For hospitalized patients with pneumonia, limited studies suggest the disease course 50% develop hypo hypoxia by day eight. Severe illness and cryotene release syndrome appear to develop mostly with five to 10 days after symptom onset with insusceptible patients. Markers of a severe infection include regular high fevers, worsening oxygen requirements, also elevated IL-6 levels, 
uh, ARDS, ARDS developed in 15 to 29%. Patients in the ICU often require mechanical ventilation with prone positions recommended if poor lung compliance. ECMO used in some centers. Duration of symptoms is about three and a half days. Admission to ICU within 24 hours of hospitalization. Admission to ICU within 24 hours of hospitalization, 81%. Nearly all had radiographic abnormalities at presentation. Leukophenia in 67%. Mechanical ventilation in 71%. ARDS in 100% of those who required mechanical ventilation most developed within 72 hours. Most patients were not in shock, but 67 received um, vasopressors. Cardiomyopathy developed in 33%. Unclear if direct viral effect versus critical illness stress. You can get a different diagnosis, so it, the like doctors cannot easily distinguish from other causes of a viral respiratory infection, such as influenza or like community acquired uh, pneumonia based only on the clinical grounds. Um, and right now, like uh, different uh, states have uh, uh, testing centers uh, where you can uh, get tested for COVID-19. Uh, but uh, Looks like uh, from uh, some of the reviewers and news, they're not that accurate. And that's where a lot of the anxiety is coming from. You have no idea what the hell's going on still. Yeah, for like, for example, for the city of uh, LA, uh, you can uh, get a free COVID-19 testing. Uh, like if you follow that uh, hyperlink uh, on the screen uh, or it's uh, lacovid.prod.service-now.com so and uh, so you sign in and um, you just get in and you get a packet uh, uh, with a colon swab uh, that you uh, just use and uh, you get the results in a couple days and hopefully they're accurate. Yeah, that's true. But it's free, so get tested again if you're wondering. So what, are you, what is the mortality rate? So note that early date data from China, there appears to be great variability among countries with Italy appearing to have, have it higher than others. The mortality rate from recent reanalysis of China experienced the ninth Report who collaborating Central Imperial College with London, UK. One case fatality rate 1.38%, percent if asymptomatic cases are included. The actual rate remains uncertain due to insufficient serological testing as well as underreporting. Rates are likely to vary according to country, region, population, and healthcare system capabilities. The mortality rate is less than that commonly ascribed to severe community-acquired pneumonia, 12 to 15 percent, but more than the seasonal influenza, which is 0.1 by 6, 10 percent times more. 
most death, deaths in patients with comorbidities and often elderly, although healthy younger patients also describe note that deaths due to COVID are likely underreported. So kind of hard to say. Yeah, it's uh, but it's something that affects everybody. Most likely, uh, like in a lot of cases, immortality uh, can be caused by a pre-existing condition, which uh, which most likely are disregarded right now in the statistics. But uh, out of uh, you know, if uh, let's say if uh, fifty-one uh, person would have a virus uh, like only one out of 51 would actually have uh, severe symptoms and uh, 50 other ones would have uh, just a mild flu even though it's true that the mortality rate is uh, bigger than uh, with uh, influenza uh, like if influenza would be point uh, uh, like one percent then uh, COVID uh, can get up to two percent but uh, we are not even close to uh, that uh, kind of spread uh, statistics right now. So that's why it's uh, very unproportionate. Yeah, and there's an absolute for certainty that these statistics will change. What kind of uh, remedies or how do hospitals treat hospitalized patients with COVID-19? They're pretty much testing anything right now. A lot of a lot of uh, hospitals are using the lopinavar, ritinavar, the LPV, RTV widely used in China and elsewhere. However, COVID-19 RCT in hospitalized patients who also received other medications yield no benefit but was given relatively late in the disease course. Chloroquine, the CQ that everybody's been hearing, or the hydroxychloroquine, the HCQ, the overall feeling is that safety is an issue, especially in more severe, severely ill patients. However, it remains without high quality data to argue for or against its use. But uh, for the states, HCQ uh, uh, is uh, the main one. This one and vitamin uh, C for those uh, who those doesn't have uh, you know severe symptoms and the HCQ for for the rest. You hear that? Take your vitamins. Reported to have some efficiency in vitro and limited, very low quality evidence for COVID-19 pneumonia, the mechanisms may be by interfering with cellu cellular acidification in the ferroglycone, the, well, burning the little legs off, the little <laughs> pricklies off the thingy. Much hype and preliminary reports of efficiency are from press releases or small studies. Growing safety signals that high dose or used in severely ill patients may contribute to cardiotoxicity. HCQ may cause prolonged QT and caution should be used in critically ill COVID-19 patients who may have cardiac dysfunction or if combined with other drugs that cause QT prolonged prolongation yeah hcq is unfortunately it's not a safe drug no. so it's not that you just you know take in the morning <laughs> yeah yeah so it's only for those uh, prescription uh, medical prescriptions yeah it's not something to play with that 
chloroquine and uh, HCQ are not uh, generally available in the US and uh, most likely if you get a prescription for that uh, you know you're gonna like the pharmacy gonna call uh, your physician to ask uh, what was the diagnosis but those are pretty cheap drugs in general so and uh, most likely you're gonna get that uh, prescribed uh, there are a lot of uh, other uh, ways how different countries uh, treat uh, um, people uh, with uh, COVID-19, uh, but we may mostly focus on the most widely available and those uh, that uh, are prescribed here in the States. Some uh, cases suggest that if you get a plasma from somebody uh, with uh, antibodies to the virus uh, who already got sick and kind uh, of beat the disease, uh, that uh, plasma can help as well. But of course, that's the same way uh, done in uh, um, hospital settings. What would be a follow-up for those who's been sick? So for follow-up case fatality rate, it's highly variable in regions, different countries unclear why and may be multifactorial. Preliminary evidence in humans and SARS-CoV-2 infection suggests that reinfection does not occur. We will find out this winter. Most but not all patients recovered from COVID-19 producing neutralization antibodies, but yet uncertainty as to how durable and whether T-cell response also likely important. Not yet clear what is required to prevent a second infection. So just because you beat it once not necessarily means you're in the clear. Yeah, it doesn't mean that uh, your body uh, kind of build up uh, those antibodies for the virus. Yeah. You can just beat the disease and then get sick again. Yeah. Coronavirus immunity may not be long lasting based on work with routine coronaviruses such as SARS and MERS. Advice for COVID-19 uh, positive patients in self-isolation quarantine. Healthcare settings, the current requirement is two sequential negative COVID-19 tests before airborne precautions can be lifted. However, viral RNA may be shed for two to three weeks longer in many patients, unclear if this represents an infectious risk or not. For outpatients, the CDC says three days without any fever or respiratory symptoms, not using cough suppressants, and not less than 10 days after symptom onset. Patients who have impaired ability to make antibodies, immunosuppressed patients are likely to shed the, vi the virus longer. And the WHO says two weeks to be symptom free. Mm -hmm. And there ain't no sports going on, so just chill and watch Netflix. It's what 2020 is all about. <laughs> a general overview of those, uh, uh, that statistic that we uh, gave you from uh, World Health, Health Organization site, website. According to data from the best studied countries and regions, the lethality of COVID-19 is on an average about 0.2%, which is the range of severe influenza flu and about 20 times lower than originally assumed by the WHO organization. The WHO. Even in global hotspots, 
the risk of death for general population of school and working age is typically in the range of a daily car ride to work. The risk was initially overestimated because many people with only mild or no symptoms were not taken into account. Up to 80% of all test positive persons remain symptom free. Even among 79 to 79 year olds, about 60% remain symptom free. Over 95% of all persons show mild symptoms at most. Up to one third of all persons already have a certain background immunity to COVID-19 due to contact with previous coronaviruses such as the common cold viruses. The median or average age of the deceased in most countries, including Italy, is over 80 years, years and only about 1% of the deceased has no serious uh, preconditions. The age and risk profile of deaths thus essentially corresponds to normal mortality. In most Western countries, 50 to 70% of all extra deaths occur in nursing homes, which do not benefit from a general lockdown. Moreover, in many cases, it is not clear whether these people really died from COVID-19 or from extreme stress, fear, and loneliness. That's true. Up to 50% of all ad additional deaths may have been caused not by COVID-19, but by the effects of the lockdown, panic, and fear. For example, the treatment of heart attacks and strokes decreased by up to 60% because many patients no longer dared to go to the hospital, like my neighbor. Even in so-called COVID-19 deaths, it is often not clear whether they died from or with coronavirus, or if they were counted as presumed cases and not tested at all. However, official figures usually do not reflect this distinction. Many media reports of young and healthy people dying from COVID-19 turn out to be false. Many of these young people either did not die from COVID they had already been seriously ill from an undiagnosed issue, or they were in fact 109 instead of nine years old. Oh, no way. Overall mortality per day is 8,000 people in the US, about 2,600 in Germany, and about 1,800 in Italy. It's not from the virus, it's just- uh, Oh, in general. In general. Influenza mortality per person is up to 80,000 in the U.S. and up to 25,000 in Germany and Italy. In several countries, COVID-19 deaths remain below strong flu seasons. So it's uh, like if you compare general mortality as per statistic per flu, influenza. Right, and how it's, it's nothing. Yeah, it's nothing to compare. Regional increases in mortality may be influenced by additional risk factors such as high levels of air pollution and microbial contaminations as well as collap collapse in the care for the elderly and sick due to the infections, mass panic, and lockdown. Special regulations for dealing with the deceased sometimes lead to additional bottlenecks in funeral or cremation services. In countries such as Italy, Spain, and to some extent the UK and the US, hospital overloads due to strong flu waves are not unusual. In addition, up to 15% of doctors and health workers were put into quarantine even if they developed no symptoms. The often shown exponential curve of the corona cases are misleading as the number of tests also increase exponentially. In most countries, the ratio of positive test to test overall, I, I, for example, the positive rate 
remain consistent at about 5 to 25 percent or increased only slightly in many countries the peak of the spread was already reached well before the lockdown countries without curfews and contact bans such as japan south korea or sweden have not experienced a more negative course of events than other countries sweden was even praised by the who and now benefits from higher immunity compared to lockdown countries the fear of shortage of ventilators was unjustified according to lung specialists the invasive ventilation of COVID-19 patients which is partly done out of fear of spreading the virus is in fact often counterproductive damaging to the lungs contrary to original assumptions various studies have shown that there is no evidence of the virus spreading through aerosols particles floating in the air or through smear infections on door handles, smartphones, or at the hairdresser. There is also no scientific evidence for the effectiveness of face masks. In healthy or asymptomatic individuals, on the contrary, experts warn that such masks interfere with normal breathing and may become germ carriers. Leading doctors call them media hype and ridiculous. Yeah, like if you want to um, get a real mask, then you need to get that, uh, uh, like a big, uh, uh, what is that, N95 mask that uh, kind of... Uh, like almost like a respirator mask. Yeah, like yeah. a respirator mask that doesn't leave any gaps for the air to come in. And if you're wearing a mask, just clean that damn thing. Don't be gross. Many clinics in Europe and the U.S. remain strongly underutilized or almost empty during the COVID peak and in some cases had to send staff home. Numerous operations and therapies were uh, canceled, including some organ transplants and cancer screenings. Several media were caught trying to dramatize the situation in the hospitals, sometimes even with manipulative images and videos. In general, the unprofessional reporting of many media maxi uh, maximized the fear and panic in the population. You know who you are. <laughs> the virus test kits used internationally are prone to errors and can produce false positive and false negative results. Moreover, the official virus test was not clinically uh, validated due to time pressure and may sometimes react to other coronaviruses. Numerous internationally renowned experts in the field of virology, immunology, and epidemiology consider the measures taken to be counterproductive and recommend rapid natural immunization of the general population and protection of risk groups. The risk for children are virtually zero and closing schools was ne never medically warranted. That is interesting. Several medical experts describe vaccines against coronavirus as unnecessary or even dangerous. Indeed, the vaccine against the so-called swine flu of 2019, for example, led to sometimes severe neurological damage and lawsuits in the millions. The number of people suffering from unemployment, psychological problems, and domestic violence as a result of the measure has skyrocketed worldwide. Several experts believe the measures may claim more lives than the virus itself. According to the UN, million, millions of people around the world may fall into absolute poverty and famine. NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden warned that the corona crisis will be used for the mass, mass and 
permanent expansion of global surveillance. The renowned virologist Pablo Goldschmidt spoke of a global media terror and totalitarian measures. Leading British virologist Professor John Oxford spoke of a media epidemic. More than 500 scientists have warned against unprecedented surveillance of society through problematic apps for contact tracing. Countries such contact tracing is already carried out directly by the Secret Service. In several parts of the world, the population is already being monitored by drones and facing serious police overreach. Yeah, those are just some facts uh, in uh, in connection uh, with uh, what's going on with the virus yeah. as well. There's ripples to everything we do. So, what about the uh, United States? Statistic. The latest report from the U.S. CDC shows that COVID-19 hospitalization rates among the over 65 is in the range of strong flu waves. It is slightly higher among 18 to 64-year-olds and significantly lower among those under 18. Dr. Daniel Murphy, the head of emergency medicine at a heavily affected hospital in New York City, recommend a quick end to the lockdown. According to Dr. Murphy, the COVID-19 wave had already reached its peak around April 7th. COVID-19 is a serious but the fear of it exaggerated as the vast majority of the population gets mostly mildly ill. His biggest concern now is the sharp decline in care of emergency patients and children due to the lockdown and widespread fear in the population. The director of the Illinois Department of Health confirmed that even terminally ill people who clearly die of another cause but who test positive for COVID-19 virus before or after death are recorded as COVID-19 deaths. Due to the lockdown, 30 million people in the U.S. have already applied for unemployment benefits by the end of April. That is significantly more than the International Labor Office, the ILO, originally assumed for the entire world. Tesla boss Elon Musk called the California curfews fascist. The forced imprisonment of people in their homes violates all the constitutional rights, Musk explained in a telephone conference. And now his business is opening up again in California. Like we, we also would like to talk about uh, the COVID uh, pandemic uh, and pandemic it's called because uh, World Health Organization uh, called it pandemic. That's why we use it as well. And the principle of proportionality. It's uh, no, uh, like it's definitely, you know, a serious and uh, like real uh, threat. But uh, whatever, you know, is happening, it got to be proportional to the measures. You know, on the individual base, like we all uh, measure our, you know, action or like how we're going to react to this or that. But I guess on the larger, larger scale, um, like we, we talk about proportionality. And it's uh, best known as a tool developed by courts, like a legal term to assess the legality of government actions. Note that proportionality is uh, a tool, not a mathematical formula, an aid uh, for analysis. Uh, it's not a machine which will split uh, out neatly packed answers to difficult questions. It's a mean or better understanding value uh, than policy issues, not of 
it doesn't provide uh, like definite definitive resolution. Uh, I think you can go from here. So first, you want to define the objective of government action and consider whether it is legitimate and important or pressing and substantial in some formulations. Fighting COVID-19 is, on any definition, an appropriate objective, but defining the objective is not straightforward. It could equally be fighting COVID-19 without causing undue economic harm. Depending on how the objective is defined, it will be more or less likely that the government action will be impaled on one of the other prongs. Second, consider whether there is a rational connection between the objective being pursued and the measures used to pursue it. For instance, is the closure of non-essential services and the confinement of people to their homes rationally related to the prevention of the spread of the disease? Does the extension, or in the Canadian case, the introduction of, a, of quarantine easing serve the goal of keeping the economy on life support? Yeah, because, you know, without uh, the functioning economy, uh, you know, doctors, lawyers, and, uh, you know, any other professions, it doesn't mean much. <laughs> yeah. And so these are all just questions you got to ask yourself where, wherever you lead the answer to. Mm -hmm. Third, ask whether the government action is necessary to achieve the objective. This third prong is generally more demanding than the second. In human right cases, it requires a laser-like focus on whether government action minimally interferes with a protected right which stands in the way of achieving the objective. Even in cases, quantitative easing springs to mind where no human rights are involved. As such, it is useful to ask whether there are alternatives less dramatic means of achieving the government objective in question. In times of crisis, any government should be, be afforded a margin of appreciation, especially where there is a high degree of uncertainty about the spread of COVID-19 and its economic effects. Nonetheless, the necessity prong serves as a reminder that the citizenry has not cut government in a blank check. Notably, the necessity is also a common feature of frameworks for addressing emergencies. Typically, legislation like Britain's Civil Contingencies Act of 2014 or Canada's Emergencies Act featured built-in requirements of necessity which governments must satisfy in order to invoke emergency powers. Government and invocations of emergency powers are and should be, such legis legislation teaches, subject to careful scrutiny. The fourth is balance. Balance the public interest sought to, to be advanced against the impact on individual interests. In other words, does the public interest in combating the spread of COVID-19 outweigh the significant interference with individual liberty caused by restrictions on movement, augmented potentially by the tracking via cell phone data of those who have or may have been exposed to the virus? Does the need of additional hospital staff outweigh the risk of sending retired and perhaps rusty healthcare practitioners to the front line of an outbreak. The, the four-prong proportionality test does not provide easy answers. As with cost-benefit analysis, it is a tool which assists in making valuable, value-laden judgments called, but which does not spare its user from making difficult decisions.
Most importantly, the outcome of a proportionality analysis can shift over time as more evidence comes to light. In the current crisis where human understanding of COVID-19 remains limited, it is critically important to keep a close eye on the evidence and updated prior accordingly. Viewing the crisis through the lens of importance, rational connection, and especially necessity and balance is an aid to understanding whether government countermeasures are appropriate response to the pandemic. So when you're questioning what's going on and you're hearing all this BS left or right, this is how you probably want to tackle those questions that you have to see where you come out and where you stand on these topics. Yeah, that's true. Like uh, the facts, uh, you can lean in one way or another, but it's good to have, uh, you know, most available uh, that are like those that are available to you analyze for yourself. Mm. You know, it's definitely, you know, that pandemic causes a crisis. And, uh, and one of the lessons that we have learned since uh, by 2008, a uh, great financial crisis is that monetary and fiscal policy interventions do not lead to increased levels of economic wealth and prosperity. And that's what's most likely, uh, uh, and that's what is happening right now with the health crisis. And uh, what these programs have done, uh, it was an act of a wealth transfer system from the bottom 90% to the top 10%. And uh, like both statistical data uh, and anecdotal evidence support this thesis. So, like, whether like you lean uh, one way or another, just uh, have uh, like your own opinion uh, yeah. um, on uh, what's going on. And definitely, you know, one of the things that uh, can affect, um, you know, once measures go into the facts, are uh, human rights that uh, already, you know, slowly, uh, or slowly and slowly get uh, diminished uh, from year to year. And uh, like in this, uh, especially like during the crisis, they can uh, be affected even more. So, and the message uh, like is clear that the people and their rights must be in front and in the center. Uh, human rights uh, lens puts everyone in the picture and ensures that no one is left behind. And human uh, rights responses can beat, uh, can help beat the pandemic, uh, putting a focus on the imperative of uh, healthcare for everyone. And the best response is uh, one that responds proportional proportionally to immediate threats while protecting human rights and the um, rule of law. And uh, from our perspective, uh, this um, novel coronavirus revealed the lack of uh, resiliency not only in our healthcare system and the economy but also in our personal health. So a lack of reliable information uh, uh, then led the world to a financial collapse and of uh, unnecessary proportions that are now threatening social security and civil uh, liberties. And uh, how do we prevent this from worsening? So the best way is just in your, your own educational choice. So the quality of information we consume is crucial. Uh, it can build us uh, or weaken our Im immune system the way it can strengthen social stability or destroy it. So the more informed we are, the better our decisions and quality of life. 
you know, the information and the uh, that click and bait videos on the YouTube, uh, they're very appealing and they catch attention. But um, most of the time, they just lead you to one uh, side of an argument and not just uh, get you like uh, emotionally uh, outraged. Yeah. So do your own research. Don't just listen to some celebrity or some famous news reporter or anything like that. Do your research. Look at what they're saying, see where they're trying to get their sources from, and see if it's legitimate. But don't just read a, a headline on a, on a website and think that it's truth. Yeah, like uh, we got to see how do we trust the information we consume. Even uh, like the small population of people who uh, watch our podcast, uh, just read something else and watch something else, just another perspective. Uh, or maybe you get something that then you might do a little more research on that. Yeah, medical journals are safe bets. Yeah, so not relying on popular media channels is a great start. Mm -hmm. And it's a most uh, difficult one, at least for me, you know, what would be a good uh, no BS website or uh, like a source. And uh, so far I didn't find any. <laughs> so like, and, but the base, uh, the base rule is like those independent media channels that don't capitalize on fear and ratings, uh, but on solution and collaboration are great indicators uh, of reliable data. Um, so that's it guys for today uh, and um, as always uh, do you have any book and movie stuff to recommend so because of the quarantine and everybody watching all the serious stuff on the news I suggest you guys get on Hulu and watch Solar Opposites and watch something funny and it's the guy Justin Roiland who did uh, Rick and Morty it's his new show it's pretty damn funny and it takes you away from all this seriousness for a minute and so check out some cartoons. They don't lie to you. Yeah, you know, the serious, uh, but that one is a little bit on the extreme side. <laughs> uh, you can now, uh, like, movie from 2011, Contagion, uh, which... Uh, Scare the shit out of you. Yeah, but explores the same uh, situation, similar. Yeah. But uh, proportionally, it's not the same. <laughs> Just an idea. Just an idea. And to the podcast, a quote or words of wisdom of the day. The only means to fight the plague is honesty. Said by Albert Camus, 1947. Uh, that's it, uh, guys. Thank you for listening. Until next time, over and out. Yeah. Thank you.